Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome to the Healthy Gut Podcast with Rebecca Coombs, the place where you can learn how to achieve a happy, healthy gut. Here's what's coming up on today's show. Welcome to episode 93 of the Healthy Gut Podcast. Today I'm joined by Jennifer Fugo and we're talking all about how your skin can be impacted and affected by your gut. I suffered for years and years and years with terrible acne, terrible acne. And I've had a lot of hives and skin irritations as well. And I never pieced it together to my gut. And as soon as I started dealing with my gut and improving the health of my gut, surprise, surprise, my skin improved dramatically. So today we talk about why why and how that occurs. If you'd like the transcription from today's episode, you can do so by becoming a member of the Healthy Gut Podcast. Simply sign up at thehealthygut.com forward slash podcast to get all of the transcriptions from season three. So I hope you enjoy today's episode with Jennifer Fugo as we talk all about that connection between gut and skin. Welcome to the Healthy Gut Podcast, Jennifer. Thank you for having me, Rebecca. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. And I'm really interested to hear a little bit about your own experience. You come at this with firsthand knowledge around skin issues. Um, Would you be able to share what's happened in your life so that my listeners are like, oh, yep, that's like me. <laughs> well, I can tell you that I have walked through the hell that is chronic skin rash problems. And I, I specifically use that term hell because that's exactly what it is. And you probably know, Rebecca, just like I've experienced because you've been there. When you can't get it to stop, it can wreck your just daily life, it can cause you to be unable to sleep, which as you know, working with clients means a tremendous uh, deficit to your um, being able to sleep and feel well and function well during the day. And it also really impacts your level of shame and your ability to show up in life. And the way that my skin rashes showed up was that while I was back in grad school, I developed hand eczema, also known as dyshidroidic eczema. And so it started on this one finger, specifically my middle finger. So if you have a sense of humor, one could say that my skin was kind of like giving me the finger and being like, hey, you know, you you really need to like uh, pay attention to me. 
And unfortunately, I was, you know, my dad's a doctor. And so I did what any kid whose dad's a doctor would do. I said, hey, dad, do you have any steroid cream? He gave me some. And that kind of worked. But I ended up going to the dermatologist because it wasn't going away. It would just come back. And it was so super itchy. I'd get these pustules that would eventually um, cause oozing of the skin. And I would wake up in the middle of the night scratching my hands. And eventually the skin rash spread to all around my fingers, down onto my palm, up the fingers to the fingertips, eventually causing issues with the way that my nails were formed. Um, And so they got very deformed and like almost like pocked in a sense. It wasn't ridges. Like they had like bumps and grooves in them that, you know, did not look healthy. Um, And so the dermatologist... Well, she was very happy that I had such a good, clean diet because at the time it was gluten-free, dairy-free, egg-free, you know, and I did a pretty good job of eating plenty of fresh fruits and vegetables. Didn't really seem to have an answer for me beyond a steroid cream, which I was already using, and Vaseline. And that struck me as kind of odd, thinking, and hey, you know, this is like... I don't know, 2017-ish, 2016, Um, you know, I'm thinking to myself, this is literally what you're doing right now? This is all the best you got? (laughs) This is confusing to me. I thought, you know, at this point, we'd be further along with things. Needless to say, no matter how many times I went, there was never any better answers. It was either, well, if you don't like managing this, because you need to face the fact that this is how your skin is going to be for the rest of your life then you're going to have to consider more serious medication, things like biologics and immunosuppressants, which I was just not comfortable with at all. I'm, you know, I'm not the normal person that walks into a doctor's office. I have more knowledge and I'm savvier. My dad's a doctor. I worked for him for a long time. So I know the risks that come with those drugs. And I figured I'll try to just manage this as best as I can. And I wore gloves that I bought at this local hardware store that were uh, like a light plasticky type um, latex sort of glove. And I wouldn't wash my hands anymore. And I, I just got to the point where I was only showering once a week because my skin would become so damaged after just wetting it and it would burn so badly. I mean, no, no soap alone, just the water would burn. And eventually I got to the point I had to give up parts of my what my business was. Um, I used to teach cooking classes, which I loved. And I loved connecting with people in person. I had to stop doing that because, you know, people kind of look at you funny when you're serving them food you made and your hands look pretty sore and uncomfortable and almost like they're infected. Um, And so unfortunately, I started to see this part of myself that really loved life that was very active become lost to feeling embarrassed and and ashamed um i even would notice at times that you go to shake someone's hand and for those of you who don't have an issue with a skin rash on your hand you know handshake is a very common way that we greet each other when you meet somebody new or you're greeting someone who you you know you necessarily aren't friends or maybe, but you're like cordial or you're you know have a good relationship with and there were a few times where you could see that that somebody was almost second guessing whether they should shake my hand because of the way it looked 
And I remember coming home one day, just like in tears and crying to my husband. And I'm like, I'm just, I don't know what to do anymore. I, I'm, I'm so uncomfortable. I'm so embarrassed. I feel like a failure as, you know, this person that's supposed to graduate from a master's program in clinical nutrition and be the pinnacle of health. And I like, I look dirty and disgusting and infected and I can't even help myself and nobody has any answers. And I don't know how I'm supposed to live with this. This is just getting worse. And he said something to me that really changed the course of everything and is why I started Skin Interrupt and the Healthy Skin Show. So I do have to credit my husband with that. And he said, you know, if I know you've been, I know that you've been going to all these doctors and you've been trying all these different things. He's like, but what if you were you coming, you know, coming to see yourself? What would you tell you to do from a clinical nutrition perspective? And I was like, I don't know. I didn't think about that. You know, I I don't, I guess I should have, but I didn't. I just, I was really in it. And it's hard sometimes to see your way out of situations when you feel so stuck and so overwhelmed. And that was my journey where I began to do a lot of internet research of looking at what were alternative things that could cause triggers and inflammation underneath um, and not necessarily ignoring what's happening on the outside of the body. Cause I think that you certainly have to address the outside, but we forget that there's an, in, a really large internal environment that has to be looked at and considered. And that journey is what eventually returned my skin back to today. It's, uh, you'd never know I had eczema. I haven't had flares and Oh, probably a year and a half, um, if not longer. And um, my skin, I would say, I would say that I am now eczema free, though I do still take precautions just to make sure that I care for my skin. I still have my steroid cream upstairs in the medicine cabinet just in case. And um, it inspired me to share with everyone that I can that you don't just have to learn to live managing this, that there are other things you can look at and things that you can do, sometimes in conjunction with conventional treatments, um, that can really make a big difference. Wow, what a story. And uh, and it's uh, one that I'm sure resonates with many people that are listening. Um, and I myself suffered from uh, terrible skin problems for many years and I know firsthand how debilitating it can be, how embarrassing it is and I also experienced having people look at me like I was a bit of a leper and it's there is nothing worse than than when people aren't sure whether they should touch you or not because of what's happening on your skin and it's it's very upsetting to be living with that. Let's talk about the connection between the gut and the skin. Why does the gut um, show up, if you like, on the skin? What's the connection? How is that actually physically flowing through so that things like eczema, uh, psoriasis, uh, acne, all of those things are um, appearing on our skin because of what's happening in our gut? Well, I think you've actually asked a really good question because most people are like, wait, my gut is causing what's happening on my skin? Like, how does that work? And that's it. and it's something that even to some degree it took me a long time to wrap my brain around. But the thing is, if the gut 
is compromised from a number of different perspectives. So how we digest and absorb food, how our microbiome is balanced, so to speak. And and sometimes, in some cases, where our microbiome lives. So in the case of SIBO, where it's not sitting, you know, we've got some bugs up in the small intestine where they shouldn't be. Um, This can play a huge role in what's going on on your skin. And I think before I answer this question, I just want to reorient every single person who's listening to this in that, yes, having a diagnosis for what's going on on your skin is helpful and important. So I don't want anyone to think, well, it doesn't matter what's going on. It's all the same. That's actually not true. At least from my clinical experience, it does help to know what you're dealing with. So if you just have a rash and you're not sure go to the doctors, get a biopsy, have a diagnosis confirmed because the way that you address different things like say rosacea to um, seborrheic dermatitis or to psoriasis sometimes might be the same, but other times might not be. And so it's very important to know what you're dealing with and then say, okay, well, I have this diagnosis of what's going on in my skin, but Maybe instead of fixating on the diagnosis, let me just assume then for a moment that the symptoms I'm experiencing on the outside are actually signs. So the eczema, the rosacea, all this stuff are signs and symptoms that I need to pay attention to and connect the dots to other parts of the body, other systems of the body, one specifically being the gut. And so when you have this area, this vital area to our body that requires us to break down food, to protect us from pathogens, to absorb nutrition that has been properly broken down, and to some extent produce, I mean, our our microbiome, yes, it certainly is involved in all these different facets, and as well as our immune system. But the other piece too is, for those of you who are unaware, the bugs that live in your gut produce something called short-chain fatty acids. And they are very important. Specifically, butyrate is very, very important for helping to anchor, so to speak, the stability of the skin microbiome. It's kind of crazy to think that the bugs living in your digestive system communicate to the bugs living on your skin. And so when you have this disruption, especially with the microbiome, Um, it can be very difficult to establish and maintain a healthy microbiome at the skin. The other problem is your skin is very hungry. It needs very specific nutrients in large supply. So if your body, say, for example, can't digest and absorb fats, or you're not consuming enough protein, or the proteins aren't being broken down because you don't have enough stomach acid and they're heading further downstream and feeding those bugs instead of you, you're now missing some very key nutrients, for example, to be able to rebuild healthier skin. So on all fronts, the gut has to be one of the major, I call it a bucket in the body that you have to look at. And there's likely going to be something that needs to be done. Every client that comes into my clinical practice with skin complaints, even those with zero gut symptoms, when we do testing, they all have some gut, either gut dysfunction and or gut dysbiosis going on. So it's very important. 
Out of interest, what is it that you look for when you're looking at um, what's going on in the body that could be contributing to skin disturbances? Well, we look for nutrient insufficiencies, number one. I'm looking at, are you having an, do you have enough stomach acid? Do you produce enough stomach enzymes? Are you able to absorb fats? Uh, so do you have a gallbladder? That's always important. A lot of people who've had their gallbladders removed were never told that they needed some sort of supplementation with bile in order to ensure that the fats... And think about it, vitamin D and vitamin A are both fat-soluble vitamins. And they are, especially vitamin A, is very important to your skin. So you know, this is, this is something that happens where we, we are seeing this depletion over time where this, there's just not enough nutrition to go around the system. Um, it can also impair your thyroid when you're not absorbing, say, like vitamin A. It's very important for your thyroid, very important for your skin. And what's more important, your thyroid or your skin? Your thyroid's more important. It takes precedence over your skin. Your skin is lowest on the totem pole. So nutrition is going to go to systems of the body that require you to stay alive. Your skin, yes, you need it to survive, but people can walk around with horrible wounds and gashes and still be okay to some degree. Whereas you can't walk around without your thyroid. You can't walk around without your heart or your brain and other systems. Um, and then two, I'm looking for dysbiosis. So do we have, say, an overgrowth of candida or some other fungal organism? Is Are there infections present like Klebsiella? Do you have just dysbiosis where maybe there's too much E. coli? E. coli that should normally be in the gut, but has just the perfect opportunity has arisen and it is just gone hog wild and taken over. And so those can all be situations where... Um, you know, we're put at a disadvantage from the gut perspective. What are some of the more common skin issues that you see with your clients who are also perhaps having uh, gut issues? I know that uh, when I first started out, I was amazed at what my gut was actually doing. I never connected my skin to my gut. I was so surprised that there was a correlation. And so I'd love for us to talk about what conditions um, people may be experiencing that they can then go, oh, that could be coming from my gut. <laughs> well, I, well, obviously psoriasis. Psoriasis is in that bucket of autoimmune diseases. And a lot of people, funny enough, who have psoriasis don't realize it's an autoimmune disease. We know that autoimmunity must be addressed um, partially within the gut because of its connection to quote unquote leaky gut or gut permeability and um, and the things that can cause the immune system to go haywire and be stimulated to confuse self with non-self. Um, but definitely eczema or atopic dermatitis, rosacea, uh, seborrheic dermatitis or just dandruff. A lot of people know it as that. I've worked with clients who have lichen sclerosis. I've worked with clients with tinea versicolor. Um, hives, for example, especially chronic hives, can also be connected to your gut. Um, let's see. I mean, it's pretty far-reaching. There is a lot of connections to what's going on with your gut. I think pretty much if you've got an ongoing issue, even acne, um, 
you need to look at what's going on with your digestion, absorption, uh, transit time is always important, but also the the residents, your 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 lovely residents <laughs> in your digestive system. You have to know what's going on with those. Um, and if you are going to do, just as a point, if you are going to do some sort of gut testing, you need to make sure that you're doing a test that is looking for pathogens and that is providing you with some sort of data on what they are, not just, hey, here's the balance of what your gut residents are. That's really not helpful. And I find those a lot of the consumer labs to be quite unhelpful in that regard. Um, and so I would just say, if, if you're going to go down that route, you want to make sure that you're getting the right type of testing so that you're spending your money where you can actually get answers. And are you comfortable sharing what testing that is? I know my listeners are often say to me, well, what was that test? <laughs> so if you're able to share, that would be great. Yeah, absolutely. So I, in my practice, I like to use the uh, GI effects panel from Genova Labs. I know some people like to use the GI map. Um, that's It's just not one of my, my favorites because they don't offer you the sensitivities to pharmaceutical and botanical agents should something pop up. Um, I just also find it's easier for clients to understand because there's a visual component to it. Um, I also sometimes, when appropriate, will use an organics comprehensive panel, again, from Genova. Um, that's really helpful with looking at all different sorts of systems, including the liver detox pathways and, and like legit liver detoxification pathways, not just like a liver detox, as we talk about in the world of wellness, um, methylation factors, looking at um, mitochondrial function, and even some things that are going on in the gut. So it's really, really helpful from that perspective. So it just depends on what's going on with the person. Um, but I will just forewarn everyone listening, if, if you're not schooled in them and you have no experience they're not consumer friendly so if you do it you're on your own just be aware that you're the the results are not likely going to make sense unfortunately to you i mean i we spent a lot of time studying those in school so um they are quite complicated and it's not so simple as just looking at oh this is high this is low you have to really look at the test as a whole and try and figure out what the best way most efficient and intelligent way forward would be based off of what what is flagged. And this comes back to something I talk about a lot on the Healthy Gut podcast, and that is around building a dream team of practitioners. And that dream team may just have one person in it at the moment, and it may have five, but having people on your team who have the skills, who have the training and the education and the experience, most importantly, of working with people like you, who um, that they can bring that to the table and they can help decipher what's going on in your body. And I see this commonly in some of the big Facebook groups where people uh, either don't have a practitioner nearby or they think they're going to, they can do it on their own. And without any of the training and qualifications and experience that a practitioner has, these tests can, you know, just be like reading a foreign language. It can be really difficult to decipher and also to know what the best pathway forward is. So if a person who's listening today is thinking, okay, I've got these skin issues, I've got psoriasis, it's been really bothering me. I had no idea it was to do with that there's a connection with my gut. What should they do next? 
That's a good question, hey? I've got loads more just like this coming up after this break. We'll be back in a moment. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. So, if a person who's listening today is thinking, okay, I've got these skin issues. I've got psoriasis. It's been really bothering me. I had no idea it was to do with that there's a connection with my gut. What should they do next? The first thing that I always suggest for people to do is to list out all of their symptoms, all of the symptoms, not just what's on the skin, things that are going on all over the body, complaints that range from physical to emotional to your memory. Um, energy, sleep, um, menstrual issues, um, any anything. The things a lot of times that we have been told don't matter, or I don't see how that's connected, everything should be written down. Um, they're all important. And I think most of the time when people come to me, they want to focus on, well, my skin. I'm like, okay, I understand that, but I actually need to know what symptoms and signs you're experiencing because I believe personally that symptoms are the body's way of trying to communicate with us that something is imbalanced or needs support or is just outright wrong underneath. And unfortunately, we have a very difficult time in this day and age translating that information because it's more of like an ancient system of communication, like sort of smoke signals, not exactly like the computer, um, you know, like, oh, you have an error and your hard drive is crashed. The computer will tell you exactly what's wrong most of the time. We don't, we don't have the luxury of that. And so as a result, we oftentimes blow things off and assume that they're the result of aging or this is just how it is. My dad had this, so it's hereditary. And that's not always true. So doing a really good um, inventory is, is always important before you go and see a practitioner. Um, I'd also get clear on what has worked and what hasn't worked. That doesn't mean you need to try everything under the sun first. Um, I oftentimes feel bad for people who have tried a gazillion different diets that have not yielded any results. And I will tell you right now that it's pretty uncommon to see a massive improvement in your skin if you've got like pretty bad eczema or psoriasis um, or a lot of these other skin conditions that I've discussed. It's not all that common that you're going to see a massive improvement by increasingly limiting the foods that you are eating. So you start out gluten-free, then you go dairy-free, then you take the eggs out. Oh, now I can't have soy. Now I can't have corn. Now I can't have nightshades. I'm going to get rid of salicylates. I'm going to do this. <laughs> there comes a certain point when people are eating very, very limited diets thinking that that's going to make them better. And it's not. And one of the first 
things that I will say to somebody if they are truly interested in even working with me is if you are expecting me to put you on a restrictive diet and that's what you want, I am not the right practitioner for you. My job is to make sure that your body is getting as much nourishment as possible. What are the most creative ways that we can, you know, put our heads together and make that happen? It's not to take out more and more and more foods with, that aren't warranted unless we have really, really good reason to believe or you have a legit allergy to, to all these things. I, I have yet to find an incredible benefit to doing massive elimination diets. And, and I am very well aware that there are some people who have very specific elimination diets for different skin conditions. Um, I can tell you right now, if you decide to do AIP, um, if you do not see an improvement, so that's the autoimmune uh, paleo protocol. If you choose to go that route, say because you have psoriasis, uh, if you do not see an improvement after about three months, like, and I'm talking like you should see a really significant improvement, you need to go see a practitioner because there's something underneath the system, uh, underneath everything else that is not food fixable that you actually need to address. So it's likely it's an infection or dysbiosis or something else. Um, with a lot of the other skin diets that are out there, the problem is, yes, you're taking out certain foods that can cause inflammation in certain people, but one specific category, for example, of salicylates, which have often been demonized in eczema, that's actually a liver detoxification problem. That has nothing to do with your gut. And so taking them out means that, yes, you're you know, limiting the burden in a system that may or may not be able to handle salicylates because you don't, you're not sure why. Is it a genetic SNP or is it because you're low on certain nutri nutrients? But at the end of the day, people can't add them back in and the skin flares up worse. So you, you increasingly find your diet becomes limited. And, that, and then that is, is very defeating in and of itself. So I would say if you've tried some things, if you've given it a shot after three to six months, you're just really not sure you're puzzled and you know, you've taken out and cleaned out all the detergents and the body care products and you've gotten rid of like all the chemicals in your home, you've done the basics and nothing's really working, it's time to start asking some deeper questions. I'm really loving what you're talking about with diet. And I see commonly people ending up, they come to me and they're on five foods. They've restricted, often self-restricted, rather than being told to restrict by a practitioner. Because like you said, they're like, okay, I'll cut out gluten and dairy and eggs. They're the common ones to go. And then, and then the other categories like nightshades, uh, nuts, um, salicylates, oxalates, those types of things are starting starting to be stripped out and then they can't go back. What do you do with a with a patient or the client who is in that zone? So they've ripped all of these foods out of their diet. They now can't reintroduce them without having these big flares, without feeling absolutely miserable. And but they'd really like to eat more food than the five foods they're currently eating. How do you get them back on track? Because diversity is so important to our overall health. That is so true. And I hope that if anyone listening to this takes anything away, it was that point there that you just made. Diversity is so important in our diet. Um, one of the first things that I do is I want to ensure that they have enough stomach acid. And it's a very simple test that 
Um, you know, I'm happy to share with everybody you can do in your home. It doesn't cost you anything more than a box of baking soda that most people have under their kitchen sink and some water. And that will likely tell you um, basically whether there's enough stomach acid present for when, when you eat food, are you able to actually break down proteins, especially um, because proteins are attached to nutrition like vitamin B12 and certain minerals. And you definitely want to make sure that proteins are fully digested. Otherwise, you are feeding bugs in your gut, which is not what you want to do. Um, and so that's usually number one. And then once typically we'll discover that somebody does not have enough stomach acid, we add in a really good comprehensive digestive aid. And that in conjunction with like a hydrolyzed protein formula, a lot of times, and I'll, I'll just kind of like say, hey, look, you're having a hard time digesting food. Let's start with some sort of like protein shake first thing in the morning. And that oftentimes is enough to get them feeling better. You know, over the course of a week or two, they start having more energy, they start feeling better, they start having a little more confidence or breaking food down, they're having fewer reactions. And, um, and then they'll start being, Hey, I want to try adding back this food or that food. And we'll start making decisions about where to add things back in. And oftentimes they'll find that they're reacting less and less to foods as a result of that. Now, if someone has an issue with histamines, that's a different story. You may have to add in two separate digestive aids, unfortunately, um, because they do very different things. Some people have difficulty producing an enzyme in their stomach called DAO, which breaks down histamines in the gut. And so using both just to ensure fully digest full digestion is happening. Is, is really critical. Um, the other thing that I sometimes will do, again, if it's a histamine issue, is, is figuring out can we add in some sort of antihistamine, natural antihistamine like quercetin or nettles that will also help just pull the histamine levels down um, inside the system. So that can be really, really helpful as well. Um, you know, and then sometimes too, I'll just say like, hey, we're going to start with cooked food. You know, like no raw foods, don't make it difficult for your digestive system to break these foods down, but let's start with something that's cooked or blended. Um, just A, that you're chewing properly, that things are getting broken down, and that B, they're then being absorbed. So can you talk through the uh, baking soda, uh, or as we call it here in Australia, bicarb soda? Um, yes, bicarb, yeah. Test at home. What do you do? So basically you mix some baking, baking soda or bicarb with water and you drink this on an empty stomach and you wait about five to 10 minutes. And during that time, you're just monitoring <laughs> your system. And what you're looking for is for your system to burp. If you do not burp and you're taught, we're talking like a really kind of loud belchy, you know, when you used to have soda as a kid and you would make a loud burp, um, that's ideally what you're looking for. If you're only like, maybe you have one little tiny burp um, or a couple little tiny burps or no burps at all, 
or it causes some people will in in not very common instances, but sometimes it may cause you your stomach to feel a little upset and you may have some diarrhea. That's not that's not a common thing. And it'll just if that happens, it's usually just once and you're good to go. But that one test alone can really help save people a lot of money because they're not having to pay hundreds of dollars to find out whether they actually have enough stomach acid. And I'm happy to um, to share a link to where people can actually grab a copy of that, the directions, because there's a specific ratio that you mix. And that way, at least they know exactly what to look for. So if that you want to share great. that, yeah, that yeah, I think that's the easiest way, but it's a great place to start. Wonderful. Well, we'll have that link in the show notes. So make sure you head to them so that you can, if you're interested, go and do that baking soda or bicarb soda uh, test at home. Now, you've got a term that you call leaky skin. I'd love for you to explain what that means. So leaky skin is similar to leaky gut um, in that the skin loses its ability to be a moisture barrier, a barrier of any sort. And that can happen due to a combination of inflammation as well as a um, a snip or a failure for the body to produce a very specific protein called filaggrin in a healthy manner. And so what's interesting is about 30% of people who have eczema, for example, have this genetic snip for filaggrin. And filaggrin is sort of like if you have your house, you know, think about your home, And you have shingles on the roof protecting the home, you know, keeping the rain out and um, anything, snow and anything in the air. Well, what happens when the shingles blow up and, and flip up in the wrong direction or they blow off your home? All of a sudden, you're going to have leaks on the home. And so it's the same with the skin. I think a filaggrin is what keeps those shingles plastered to the roof to protect the home. And instead now that home or your skin barrier is susceptible to all these different agents within your environment. And so there's an interesting combination of inflammation that's produced internally can also downregulate the body's ability to produce healthy filaggrin. And so in eczema, we'll see this combination of something internals causing a massive amount of inflammation that in turn makes it worse. And so, you know, the the goal is at the end of the day, you've got to do whatever you can do both internally and externally to reduce and limit the inflammation that's happening, whether that means trying your best to stop scratching, because that is external, that's external inflammation right there. The more you itch your skin, the worse it's going to get. Um, but then stopping whatever is internally causing the issue as well. And so that points back to our, you know, about the conversation about the gut and all that stuff. So um, it's important to look at it from both an inside and outside approach. That way your skin doesn't continue to lose moisture. It doesn't open you up to infections, which are quite common in certain skin conditions like eczema. A lot of times um, staph aureus will exist on the skin where it really shouldn't be. Um, and so you know, that's leaky skin is a, is a, is a real phenomenon, but I wouldn't recommend anyone listening to this, go to their dermatologist and say, I think I have leaky skin. They're going to look at you like you're nuts. It's more of like how we say leaky gut when in reality, the the correct medical term is gut permeability. 
<laughs> it's funny when you uh, use terms that are often thrown around in um, you know these circles, health circles and, and patient circles, and then you go to a practitioner and they're like, oh, what are you saying? Um, <laughs> with regards to treatment for the skin, now obviously dealing with the what's going on within the body is such an important and, and necessary step. But what if somebody's got burning, itchy, irritated skin today and they just want to put something on it. Um, is there anything that we can use topically on our skin that can help? And are there any things that we should avoid using? I would say, so this is where opinions will diverge. So when I had eczema, I still used a topical steroid. I'm, I'm not an advocate for topical steroids, but I don't think that we should throw the baby out with the bathwater and say that they're poison. I've also talked with a lot, I have interviewed a lot of functional practitioners. So practitioners who are trained on using supplementation and more natural means to help rebalance your body and its pathways and whatnot. And many of them who have had skin issues or work with people who have skin issues all agree that we should stop fearing topical steroids and instead work to use them, number one, use them properly, and number two, find ways to reduce the necessity of using them. So it's, if that's been prescribed by your doctor, it's not to say that you just like flush it down the toilet or throw it out, um, but finding creative ways to lessen the burden. And if you do, I just want to say this too, if you do have like oozing um, and it looks really angry, go to the doctors. Do not self-treat. Don't put coconut oil on it. Um, go to the doctors. It is very easy to get an infection. And it's, I've had a lot of clients that are so used to thinking that the doctor is the bad person when if you have a skin infection, you need to seek treatment and help. It is very important to find out if you have a staph infection. Um, it's not something to mess with or to get, get out your essential oils. And I'm going to say this too, that people may not like to hear, but essential oils are not appropriate to put on rashed skin. And every essential oils expert that I've spoken to has said the same thing. So when you see in these Facebook groups, we're like, oh, well, put a drop of lavender oil or a drop of la melaleuca. You do not put essential oils, especially those that are undiluted, on rashed skin. That is not a safe thing to do. It's not appropriate. And um, the other piece to this is you shouldn't be using coconut oil on rashed skin either. And that is something that can cause way more harm than anything else. Um, so, you know, and I'm happy to talk about that as well, because that seems to shock a lot of people because coconut oil has been promoted as this panacea of health and it's good for everything, but it is not good for skin that is really struggling to maintain moisture and has rash problems of any sort. Um, I would say, you know, number one, if you were prescribed a steroid cream, try to use that as sparingly as possible and use it the way that the doctor recommended. I'm not a doctor. Your doctor's the doctor. They're the boss in that department. Um, you could also try, like topically, trying some 
um, CBD oil that doesn't have any other, uh, you can just make sure that there's no menthol constituents. So peppermint or spearmint or anything minty in it, because that could be very irritating to the skin. You can use that topically or take it internally. Um, I've used that sometimes with clients to help reduce the inflammation and the burning, um, sensations and, and itchiness. Um, but also, too, there are lots of really wonderful herbs. Um, olive oil is really helpful. While obviously that's not an herb, that's an oil, but olive oil is really, really great for the skin. Um, I would also say using calendula can also be helpful. It's very, very helpful for the skin. So I would look more towards herbs that are soothing, like chamomile, assuming you don't have an allergy to chamomile. Um, but those would be better options than rushing to do something super harsh and toxic and um, may likely make your skin worse. I'm interested about the coconut oil one and because coconut oil is just, it's like this new, you know, miracle cure for all and coconut oil is being used for everything, for food, for skin, for hair. What is it about coconut oil that could actually be making things worse? So coconut oil, coconut oil is a good thing. It really is, but it's not good for everything. <laughs> and I'm not sure why exactly it was promoted as good for everything and good in excess. I think that's one of the bigger questions and problems that we're seeing today is that as soon as something is found to have benefits, it must be good for everything. And we should just drink the entire container in one sitting because more must be better. And that is not exactly true. So one problem with coconut oil is that the pH is too high for your skin. Your skin is more on the acidic side. So it's like around a pH of 4.5. We do not want our skin to be alkalined. I know there's this misconception within the wellness world that we should all live this alkalined life. Well, your gut should be acidic, especially your colon. Actually, your small intestine should be more basic, but your where the microbiome lives should be uh, acidic. And it's an acidic environment, as is your skin, right? We have a microbiome that lives on the skin. And so coconut oil is much too alkaline for the skin. It also does not allow the skin to breathe. It acts as almost like a saran wrap being placed over the skin and that can trap heat making people feel more uncomfortable and the other problem is that it is so antimicrobial that if you struggle and most people do who have skin rash issues if you struggle with having or maintaining a healthy skin microbiome you then throw on this very antimicrobial agent you wipe out fungal organisms, bacteria, etc. But that creates a vacuum that allows for opportunistic bugs to take hold and root. And so I have found, I, I thought I was one of the few people that, that was alone in this and started doing more and more research and talking to more and more, na um, more like naturally thinking estheticians and it was very interesting, the response. I have an article on my website where I go through all of this, of the problems with coconut oil. And 
the response has been, oh my gosh, I'm so glad you wrote this. I've, I thought I was the only one. Coconut oil has caused my skin to get so much worse. It has caused my skin to not just flare up, but to be incredibly inflamed, swollen, and itchy. I actually had a client last week tell me the only reason that she wanted to set up time to talk to me was because she felt very misled after having read all these articles telling her to read co- or to use coconut oil on her face, which is where her rash is. And unfortunately, it caused such significant swelling. She was desperate to get it to stop. Her eyes were even puffed out and swollen. And when she read that, she stopped using it. And within two to three days, her skin, at least she said the puffiness and the swelling went down so significantly that it was shocking. She still has a rash because she's still got something going on underneath. But she's like, you know, it's really sad that we've been told repeatedly that coconut oil is so good for us that nobody has actually taken the time to look at all of the different reasons why for rashed skin, it's just not good to use. And so um, I'm really glad that I have the ability to share this kind of information, because even if that one tip alone helps somebody make me so, so happy. Definitely. And I think there'll be some aha moments with people listening to that. And I'd love to link to the article that you've written on coconut oil and and all of those oils. So I'll get that from you and put that in the show notes as well. So if coconut oil isn't the best thing for us to be using topically, are there some creams or oils or fats that you think are much better for us to use if someone's thinking, oh, okay, what do I do now? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, as I said, olive oil is really, really great. A lot of people think of it just for cooking, but that's not true. (laughs) It's, It's very, very helpful for your skin. And if you can find salves and balms that are primarily um, olive oil, they can be just very soothing in a way that you wouldn't necessarily think. Um, The other thing that I would say is like sesame seed oil, but not, again, these are not cooking oils. Where you want to look for these oils would be in the body care section. Um, That way, you know that it's specifically meant for your body. It's not been processed in a way to withstand heat for cooking. Um, Avocados and avocado oil um, is also great. Sunflower seed oil actually has some research behind it that for eczema or atopic dermatitis, it can be helpful. And jojoba oil is another really great option. It looks, the word looks like jojoba. (laughs) (laughs) to most people, but it's pronounced jojoba. And it's very similar to human human sebum, which is a substance that our skin uh, actually produces to help protect our skin. So those can be great options. None of them are expensive. Um, You could try things like shea butter. I I would probably wouldn't put shea butter on my face, but I do want to say this. You can be allergic or sensitive to natural things too. I have a client that discovered a few weeks into working together, she couldn't figure out what was causing her skin to react and it was actually shea butter. So just know, don't be married to the idea that it's got to be one thing or the other. Um, You've got to, this is an experiment. You are a little bit of an experiment. It's a process and you have to be patient 
Um, and just don't get hung up that because you heard that these are the options that I'm sharing, that they're the only ones. There are certainly other options out there, but these are just a handful of, of good ones to try. Wonderful. And the, if people want to l- learn more about their skin or connect with you, they can head to uh, skinterrupt.com. <laughs> yes. um, and uh, I've got that linked in the show notes. So do head over there so that you can um, connect with Jennifer Fugo. Um, thank you so much for coming on to the Healthy Gut Podcast today and sharing your knowledge around skin and gut. I've learned so much and I'm sure my listeners have as well. Well, thank you so much for having me and for anybody listening who's having really uh, really bad times, you know, feeling really alone, like no one gets it. No, no one can help them. Just know that there are other avenues to address this. It doesn't, and you don't have to feel like you're all alone because you're not. I totally understand it. And oh my goodness, Rebecca, you totally understand what, what everyone is going through. So you've got a great community and you've got such a great resource with this podcast. And I appreciate everything that you're doing as well. Thank you. And do head over to Jennifer's website. You can also listen to her podcasts as well. Uh, You can learn so much with her. So you don't need to feel alone. Um, And there's nothing better than knowing that there are people that understand what you're going through. I think just the power of that uh, is so profound. And, And for me, that was one of the first steps of me starting to regain my health was to feel like I was no longer doing this on my own. So thanks once again, Jennifer, for coming onto the podcast. I hope you enjoyed today's episode with Jennifer Fugo. Don't forget you can get today's transcription by becoming a member of the Healthy Gut podcast. Just go to thehealthygut.com forward slash podcast and sign up as a member to receive emails with all of the episodes and transcriptions from season three. And please leave a rating and review so that not only myself, but others who are looking for a SIBO-based podcast know this is the right podcast for them. I look forward to seeing you next week. You've been listening to the Healthy Gut Podcast with your host, Rebecca Coombs. To learn more about the Healthy Gut or our podcast, head to thehealthygut.com forward slash podcast we would like to thank red lemon productions for the production and original music score of this podcast to find out more about their services head to redlemonproductions.com the healthy gut podcast is a production of the healthy gut thanks for listening Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.